0: Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events, entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Hi folks, Dr. History here with another story from the Old West. So listen to this. The headline in the Rapid City Daily Journal of July 16, 1893, read, quote, A good Indian gone, the best Indian friend to the whites goes to happy hunting grounds. The, quote, good Indian who died was Oglala Sioux Chief Tasumka Kokopapi, meaning Man Whose Horses They Are Afraid but better known to history as Young Man Afraid of His Horses. So that's what I'm going to talk about is this chief, and I'm going to refer to him as Young Man Afraid just uh, so you don't get confused. So there's this Dr. Valentine T. McGillicuddy, former agent of the Pine Riggs Reservation and a warm personal friend of the deceased, finished the following statement to the South Dakota newspaper, quote, this noted chief was known among the whites as young man afraid to distinguish him from his father, old man afraid. Well, as successor to his father, he was hereditary chief to the Oglala Sioux. This gave him more prominence, influence and authority in the Sioux nation more than any other chief living. And I've got to admit, I've never heard of this guy. Well, he was born about 1839 as a young warrior he took part in raids on immigrants along what they called the Holy Road, the Indian name for the Oregon Trail. Now, an important medicine man named Ice took a liking to a young man afraid and taught him the ways of the Cheyenne people. In the summer of 1865, the Oglalas were camped on a creek about 70 miles northwest of Fort Laramie in what would later become Wyoming when the tribal leaders decided it was time to revive a custom that had fallen into disuse. Seven older leaders called, and you'll like this, big bellies, selected four strong young men to be, quote, shirt wearers. Now, elaborately dressed warriors rode around the camp four times, each time a young man from the crowd was chosen. The first three were young man afraid, another one was sword, another one, uh, American Horse, all sons of Big Bellies. Now, quite unexpectedly, a fourth who was a commoner, not the son of a chief, his name was Crazy Horse, and we've all heard of him. Well, after a huge feast of buffalo and boiled dog, the Big Bellies told the four young men that their job as shirt wearers would be to super, supervise the warriors and to make sure that order was maintained. All Oglala men, women, and children were to have their rights respected. Shirt wearers must be wise, kind, and firm in all things. They were forbidden to ever take up arms against their own people. Shirts were made from two bighorn sheepskins, beautifully quilled and fringed, with hair from horses' manes were uh, handed out. One of the big bellies told the shirt wearers that they were obliged to look out for the poor, the widows, the orphans, and all those of little power. Well, by the end of 1865, the most powerful of the Oglala leaders were Crazy Horse, Young Man Afraid, and Red Cloud. Although not a hereditary chief, Red Cloud seemed to direct the the effort to dislodge whites from the Bozeman Trail. In the mid-1860s, Young Man Afraid and Crazy Horse helped all they could to try to satisfy the Indians. The U.S. government in 1868 gave the Black Hills Dakota territory forever to the Indians. Nevertheless, uh, as usual, by 1875, white miners were arriving in droves to search for gold. So as typical, these treaties a lot of times just didn't pack a lot of punch. Well, to ease tensions resulting from the obvious violation of the 1868 treaty, the government offered to buy back the Black Hills from the Sioux or the Lakotas. Uh, the offer split the Sioux into three groups. The older reservation Indians, led by Red Cloud and Spotted Tail, believed that they'd already lost the, the Black Hills, so they might as well get the best price they could for them. Now, a second faction, led by Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull, was determined to fight. Now, young man, afraid, led the third group, which, you know, they just hoped to work out some kind of accommodation that would allow the Lakotas to live in peace. And in his view, giving up the Black Hills would be a disaster for the Lakota way of life. Although he was unwilling to fight, he was equally unwilling to sell those sacred hills. That was their ground for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was their territory. Well, in, eight, in September 1875, a U.S. commission came to the reservation to continue negotiations for the Black Hills. And many Sioux, they think there was as many as probably 20,000 uh, gathered together. And Under an army tent sat a general council of the Sioux with the commissioners sent from Washington. The only protection for these officials was provided by Captain James Egan's troop of the 2nd Cavalry, about 50 men. So keep that in mind, 50 men compared to what, 20,000? On the second day of the council, there suddenly appeared from the direction of the Black Hills 300 mounted Indians in full war regalia under the leadership of another Oglala Sioux little big man. He announced that by an old division of the hunting grounds, the Black Hills had been apportioned to the northern Sioux and that he had been sent down from the north by Sitting Bull, not to sell the Black Hills, but to kill the white commissioners. Now, he told this in front of the commissioners. Well, this uh, caused a little bit of concern. Captain Egan quickly placed his company to the rear of the commissioner's tent with their carbines loaded. Well, in response, Little Big Man stationed his warriors in the rear of Egan's men, whom they outnumbered again seven to one. Egan then ordered his first sergeant to cover Little Big Man with his carbine and to fire at the first hostile signal from the leader. So into this situation, as you can imagine, a little bit tense, Young Manafraid, who uh, brought with him many warriors also in full war rig, after wedging his men between the northern warriors and the cavalry, Young Manafraid looked at Little Big Man and reportedly said, quote, My friend from the northeast, look at me. I am Man Afraid, chief of the Oglala. You are now on the hunting grounds of the Oglalas and Brulees. Those white men came from the great father on a mission of peace. They are under my protection. If you fight them, you must also fight me. I have no more to say. Can you imagine that scene? Well, the fight did not come off. Little Big Man and his followers disappeared as quickly as they'd come. Young Man Afraid had saved the commissioners. And it wasn't the first or last time that he placed himself between two warring factions. On October twenty-second, 1874... There were 26 bluecoats led by a guy named Lieutenant Emmett Crawford, and they'd been on their way back to their stockade when a band of hostile young warriors attacked. Young Man Afraid and his followers just happened to appear on the scene before anybody uh, was killed or any bloodshed. After breaking through the ring of warriors, uh, he had formed a protective wall around the bluecoats and escorted them on to the stockade. Many years later, he would use the same maneuver to stop a hostile band led by Chief No Water. Well, as you can imagine, the influx of white gold seekers into the Black Hills caused Crazy Horse and his followers to strike back against the intruders. There and elsewhere, uh, like the Little Bighorn, obviously. Well, you know, uh, Red Cloud and other agency chiefs were suspected of sending warriors and arms north to help out the resistant Lakotas. Young Man Afraid and his immediate band never wavered in their friendship with the whites. So now we move ahead to the morning of September 4th, a party consisting of 400 agency warriors and eight full companies of the 3rd Cavalry set out to arrest Crazy Horse. And Young Man Afraid went along to make sure that his friend wasn't shot while attempting to escape. Well, the arresting party reached Crazy Horses Lodge and discovered that he had run 40 miles to the north, but the next day he came back. He was arrested, and then, unfortunately, while trying to break loose in front of the guardhouse, he was bayoneted to death by a trooper. Well, the next year, when Dr. McGillicuddy was appointed agent for the Pine uh, Rigs Agency, young man afraid of his horses became his closest Sioux confidant now in 1889 90 young man afraid uh, opposed the so-called ghost dance craze which to many whites looked like an uprising he worked to try to persuade his people from taking part in this religious movement making several trips to the badlands to convince the dancers to return to pine ridge After the Wounded Knee disaster on December twenty seventh, 1890, he immediately began to work for a peaceful settlement of the whole affair. He advised the Oglalas not to avenge the deaths at Wounded Knee because he knew if they did, the soldiers would kill them all. And once again, he visited the ghost dance camps and he tried to encourage the people to surrender and assured them that they, they would be kindly treated if they gave themselves up and uh, although, you know, in the back of his mind, he knew that the whites weren't always really true to their word, and, but he also knew that the Lakotas could never uh, be victorious in battle. Well, a young man, afraid friendship with white authorities never made him a traitor to his people. In 1891, when the army demanded that he turn in some of his warriors for murdering two white men, he replied, now listen to this carefully. Uh, two warriors had murdered two white men. All right. Here's what he said. No, I will not surrender them. But if you bring me the white men who killed few tails, another Indian, I will bring the Indians who killed the white soldier and the herder right out here. I will have my young men shoot the Indians and you have your soldiers shoot the white men. And then we'll be done with the whole business. So in other words, you're going to... uh uh, shoot your own uh, people for this crime. Well, that was the end of that. Young Manfred died on July 12th, 1893 in Newcastle, Wyoming. According to the Rapid City Journal article, he died from, quote, unknown causes on his way back to Pine Ridge after visiting the Crow Indians in Montana. Well, was he poisoned? Was he ambushed? Uh, what happened? I guess we'll never know. Anyway, Dr. McGillicuddy said, quote, should trouble again arise with the Sioux Nation, young man afraid will be missed. For many years, he has been the firm and unwavering friend of the government and the whites. And that's the story of young man afraid. And just as a postscript uh, in my book, coal miner to cowboy i talk a lot about the trail drive that goes up along the bloody bozeman and the confrontations with red cloud so if you want to read more about that you can find my book at on amazon or at my webpage, page dr-history.com so i hope you've enjoyed this story how about young man afraid